Good morning, fish keepers. How are we doing? It's Friday. We've done it again. And today is a happy Friday uh, because we've got ourselves a guest to speak to, which I'm looking forward to. So let's make sure our coffees are ready to rock and roll. Oh, it's really hot. I've just made it and it's stupidly hot. It is pretty good though. I'm converting myself to black coffee, so I'm getting there slowly. All right, enough of that. Yep, yep. Let's bring on our guests. We've got John as per normal. Hello. And we Hello. have Yago from Weo. Good morning and good evening to both of you. How are you? Cool. I'm good, good. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Yago. It's much appreciated. Um, well aware it's um, later in the evening, so we really appreciate you being with us. It's uh, it's much appreciated. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, good morning, Renee, Zen, uh, Helen, Brian. Thank you all for joining us. Okay, so first question that I have for you is, how did you get involved in the uh, the aquarium industry? Uh, and more particularly, your aquarium hobby? Uh, I was really in the early age. I was six years old, and um, I passed by a little aquarium store that was at, uh, near my, my place. And I saw a little aquarium that with, um, with a couple of stones, it was a typical Chinese plastic glass box. And inside it was uh, a couple of uh, paddle tail newts, uh, mm -hmm. the Chinese uh, newt. And I just got completely fascinated. So uh, uh, I asked my parents to, to, to buy the aquarium and with the newts. And my parents were not about animals at all. So they say no. So basically, I stay the whole week. Anything they ask me, I would answer something regarding the news. So what did you learn to go to school? I would learn how to keep news at home and so on. What did you eat? Well, we show, they show us how the animals eat. And so after one week, my parents took me to the store. They bought me the first aquarium and everything started from, from there. So I've been really, really uh, crazy about, especially on, on, on amphibians at that age. And so I got first my little aquarium, then a second aquarium. Then I managed to get a, a full rack of aquariums with all sorts of um, turtles, amphibians, fishes, and so on. Mm -hmm. And at the age of around eight or nine, I managed to get a full room in, in my parents' house, uh, mm -hmm. full of all sorts of animals. And everything has started. So really, really on the early age. Mm, very cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so moving forward from that, um, where has your aquarium journey led you from from starting there to where you are now? What's what's kind of happened in between? Well, um, the thing is that I was completely passionate about uh, animals. Uh, so any. Uh, for me, the, 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 the money reference was the cost of an amphibian. So for me, uh, any object was, okay, this is three amphibians, this is four amphibians, so what's like the reference? I was very, very passionate about that. So I was doing my studies and I was, was keeping uh, animals. In 2000, I traveled to England to, to study and it's when the internet started. So I got into a website that it was called caudata.org that it's all about amphibians, reptiles, and especially salamanders and newts. And then I started having contacts all over the world. And 
at that time, um, I thought that I couldn't make a living out of my, my hobby and my passion. So I studied uh, industrial product design and I just kept it as a, as a hobby. So um, when I came back to Barcelona, uh, I organized a trip to Japan. Um, that was in 2007. And I arranged some meeting with some Japanese herpetologists and hobbies. Um, so when I just traveled there, uh, I went for expeditions to look for the giant salamander and stuff like that. And one of the guys, uh, when I went to his home, he had an aquarium that was completely copper. So I was wondering if there was, uh, I don't know, a rare species. And he just uncovered it. And it was an aquarium for the IPLC contest. It was the first wow. fully planted tank that I, I, I saw. And, and I, I was, it was completely blind, uh, mind-blowing, because the, the, the quality of the tank in 2007 was nothing compared in Europe. So I was completely amazed. Uh, the guy gave me a catalog of uh, uh, AVA uh, at that time and introduced me the figure of uh, Takashi Mano. Mm -hmm. So I started like, what's, what's that? It was like a jump to the future in the aquarium hobby. Yeah. So on my way back to, to Barcelona, I started researching about uh, Amano. Uh, buying the books, the, the first book, the second volume, the third volume about Nature Aquarium. And then I organized a second trip uh, the following year, 2008, and I managed one of my friends uh, to arrange a, a meeting at the AVA gallery. So I, I arranged a meeting with Amano. So uh, I arrived there at around 9 a.m. in the morning, and I stood the whole day there in the gallery, uh, spending time with the Mano and spending time with the team. And it was absolutely like a, a unique experience. At the mm -hmm. time, Amano was kind of uh, already a celebrity in, in Japan and started to be known uh, worldwide. So um, when I arrived, uh, for the first thing you see is the gallery. And the gallery is like a real art gallery, but where every piece is a, in a, it's an aquarium. So the amount of um, the artistry that is involved in every of those aquariums at that time, it's anything that you have seen uh, in real life. You've seen some shots, some photographies, but you're not aware that this is possible in that quality. And when you see in 3D, everything changes. So um, I was talking to the ADA team, and at some point, Amano came. Uh, it was funny because it's... Uh, he was completely modern in the style he was dressed with military uh, trousers and kind of very, very artist look. And, and then uh, we start talking. He doesn't speak English, uh, but he understands way more English than we expect. I think it's a kind of a strategy of keeping the figure uh, and being able to think the, the questions and so on. But uh, we started having a conversation with one of the ADA team doing the translation. And the first questions were like, what do you think about climate change? What do you think about the Korea conflict? And this sort of kind of more tricky questions. Mm. And as the day went, um, he had to leave at some point. So uh, then a second person from the ADA team starts talking with you. And they were serving me tea. 
So the thing is that I'm not used to taking tea or coffee at that time. So after three hours, I maybe drank 10 cups of tea. So I was completely like overexcited. <laughs> and I managed to stay the whole day uh, with him and, you know, discussing a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, things that we, we were talking. The cool thing is that we really got along. So he sent me an email um, uh, a week later and he said that he wanted to come to Barcelona. So he just flew to Barcelona for one week and I showed Barcelona around, I showed my, my place. Uh, I took him to my nude room that it was in, uh, I live in the center of Barcelona and I had at that room 24 aquariums, 120 centimeters. It's a flat. So I had metal structures to support the four tones of water that wow. the whole installation had. And I had a uh, chiller machine. Uh, I mean, it was kind of very high tech, everything, you know, uh, very automatized and with nudes and salamanders from all over the world. And I remember that when I opened the door and he just found that place in the middle of a modern platform and so on, he was like, wow, this guy is as crazy as so we really on, and after that, he just flew back to Japan and he sent me an email that uh, he would like me to be the distributor for ABA for Spain. So uh, in terms of being the professional part of the aquarium hobby started at that point. It was the first time that I said, hey, maybe there's an option to make a living with mm. always passionate. So everything started like that. I had uh, my business and this started like, okay, let's see how does it goes. And yeah, one thing brought to another and now I am where I am. Cool. That was the start. Fantastic. That sounds like a um, phenomenal experience in a way to start your commercial. Yeah. Entity yeah. of being involved in the industry. That's. Yeah, it's starting like the the top of the of the range. Exactly, yeah. And yeah, also, I mean, it was a challenge because it's like I, I was, I've been you know at that time twenty something years uh, with aquariums, so I was like I know everything. And when you travel to Japan, you find the nature aquarium, and all the philosophy behind. You see that there's a full field that you don't know, and mm -hmm. I really like all the artistries uh, and. So I, I really connected with that and I say, hey, I can be, you know, really, really passionate about that and make a living. And I think I can contribute a lot and just bring it at that time to Spain because Spain was, people were buying plants, uh, expecting that the plant will die in three weeks, four weeks, and then buy a new one. The substrate were marine substrate. I mean, everything was kind of very prehistoric. Mm -hmm. And the, the experience was amazing because I started visiting some of the stores that I used to be as a client and offering AVA. And when I talk about CO2 or aqua soil, it was completely, they had no clue about that. Mm -hmm. And I, I faced the classic stores with the old uh, owners that they had a different mindset and it was like clashing with the old philosophy and this wouldn't work. Uh, on the other hand, people that were passionate, there were some um, enthusiasts that already knew ADA and so on. So some little stores uh, run by young hobbies started taking the first uh, shots of, with the products and the philosophy. And But the, the beginning was really, really hard because it was like, okay, mm. uh, you have a vision, but where the market is, 
the, the distance is massive. So uh, when I talked to, to Remy, uh, it was funny because the first thing I did when I got the distribution of ADA was to contact Tropica and bring Tropica plants to Spain because you cannot have a full planted tank with all the beauty without having proper plants. So I started being ADA distributor and Tropica distributor for Spain. And so everything started kind of step by step. Cool. Um, for those that are watching who don't know who Remy is, Remy is in the chat, potentially still with us. Uh, Equahouse, who is a New Zealand uh, retailer and distributor, importer of all sorts of good things, um, aquarium related, and is making some pretty good, pretty good movements here in New Zealand. So, um, yeah. Uh, can you share with us the journey that sort of led to the creation of WEO um, from from that point to where it's kind of begun and where you are now? Um, well, the creation of WEO started um, when the COVID started. Um, at that time, um, I was working uh, distributor in ADA. Uh, I am a distributor, a co-distributor of ADA for Europe. And I was importing a lot of uh, hardscape from, from China. So COVID started. Um, I was doing also, I have a, a big background of doing big exhibits for public aquariums. And, and yeah, I, I went in 2017 to, to uh, Canary Islands. It was built the Poema del Mar, that is from the Loro Parker Group. And I was in charge of doing all the exhibits. It was 45 exhibits in one year from freshwater, marine, and so on. So I was really on, on doing big tanks plus the distribution. So um, at, when the COVID started, uh, everything changed. Uh, all the shipping costs started go completely crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, the industry growth was going really well because people was staying at home and they mm -hmm. spent a hobby. They couldn't travel, they couldn't do the usual stuff. So in Europe, um, the sales of uh, ABA, Tropica, everything was really, really as never before. The business was going really well. On the other hand, bringing stuff from Asia was like completely prohibitive. The cost of the containers started rising to 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. So it was impossible to bring the, the cost. And I think that almost everyone started with thinking, uh, well, you don't know how it's going to be the future. And uh, what about being so dependent of importing stuff? Because I was fully dependent from China and from Japan. So um, one of the things is like, okay, I should have, I, I should diversify the product range and start having local production. And I am a, a designer. So I was like, I really knew how to develop products that I wanted for me that I didn't find in the market. So I think that it came all together that I was mature enough to know exactly what I wanted uh, in terms of uh, um, a brand and uh, creating products. Mm -hmm. The challenges that may rise with the, this COVID and so on. So I just decided to, to start uh, Wheel. And I started, of course, from the hardscape. And I took the long way because everybody was aware of uh, Relia Stone, Dragonstone, and so on. I say, hey, nature, there's a crazy amount of different stones, sands, and so on. 
it's about finding them and bring it to the audience and 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 and, and show materials that are more natural than the classic ones that we import from China. So that was the first approach. So I started with a hardscape mm-hmm. and one thing took to another, to another, to another, until we started developing products like the riverbeds. And, and, and the thing is that I wanted to start with the decor line with the vision to jump later to the tech line, to the space line and to the well line that are consumables and so on. So it was a global vision, but starting with the thing that I could start in a kind of very efficient way and, and fast way. Okay, cool. Very good, Maxine. Um, as a as a company, how do you how do you approach the creation of of your products in a sustainable way? Um, is it done in a, a slightly different way to the more conventional way, or how does that work for you and, and the ethos of your company? Um, well, the first thing is that. Um, I think that purchasing is is voting. So uh, many times we complain about many things, but uh, we as consumers uh, are empowered to decide how we want the future. So if we complain about, I don't know, petrol cars, uh, well, don't have a petrol car or change, and this applies to everything. So for me, it's like um, if you run a company and run a brand, I think it's very important to bring your ethos there. And even you realize how complicated it is or how much more expensive it is to take some decisions. But from the start, I say, okay, I, I want to do, uh, I try to support, you know, some projects. So the first uh, LED lighting, all the packaging came with, uh, okay, part of the money goes to support this project or that project and so on. I wanted to use um, recyclable packaging. So um, it was crazy because I tried to do bags that were 100% compostable or 100% recyclable. All the trials failed. I, I talked to the companies and they say, mm, because uh, when I pack something and stock it and ship it to New Zealand, for example, and it gets to the, to the um, store, it may pass three months or four months. And all those packagings, the compostables, they have a length maximum of nine to 12 months. So you cannot guarantee the, the quality of it. So uh, I managed to, to get 70% uh, recycled plastic and 30% non-recyclable. And I say, okay, still not the time, but I was trying to push and, and try to do the things in the most uh, ethical and sustainable way possible. In terms of suppliers, um, look for suppliers that uh, they got the, the, the gathering of the hardscape that is legal. Um, even the, the Neptune wood, I have an agreement with, uh, 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 it's a lake that sometimes it just, uh, every summer it just drowns the water level. And they have, when it rains a lot, a lot of flocks that has been accumulated there. So uh, I can go with the team, select the logs, bring them out, and are completely naturally harvest logs mm-hmm. one by one. So it's not like calling a Chinese that they just cut everything and so on. So it's every piece is unique. On the contrary, this is a challenge because mm. it's not, uh, again, the quality is not sustainable. So you have to gather it uh, to match that quality and the availability is not always sustainable. So for instance, this year, nothing. It was so dry 
Uh, it was no rain, so no locks came there. So this year we cannot gather that. But I like that because also when you communicate that, uh, the value of the piece changes completely. It's something that has been gathered by us and it's from nature and it's not a, an industrial process. It's like yeah. the lock has been there for two years, three years under the lake and now we had the chance just to remove it. So these sort of things, I think it's also important to to bring it to the people. It's not just about buying a piece of wood, it's to know mm. the story behind it. Yeah. So do you go and help the team select and collect it with everything or just sort of here's the site we're at, we'll, you'll begin there and, and leave because you just mentioned that you go out with them. So how does, how does that work for you? Uh, the thing is that, um, uh, my 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 girlfriend. It's it's. I always make fun of me because every time we travel, uh, I just look for stones. I look for materials and so on. And normally, I I carry some of the stones and and stuff like that. And I love to find materials that when I see them, I just fall in love. Say, wow, this is amazing. And how can I get it? And then talk to the people around. Is anybody that does construction there has a line sense about that? And so it's really like kind of Sherlock Holmes through travels, find materials and then trying to get them uh, in a sustainable way. So I'm not using the traditional resources like, OK, let's look for garden materials or aquarium uh, goods from anywhere in the world and just contact them online. I like basically to, to go to some areas, find the goods, and then find out how to get them in a sustainable way. Cool. And do you find that um, knowing where a certain log comes from helps you understand what else is in that area? Like other kind of rocks or substrates to give you an idea for, um, for further substrate projects as well? Yeah, uh, the thing is that when uh, you like nature, I think, I think it's all about background. I mean, I spent so many years from childhood reading books about nature, watching documentaries, traveling, uh, walking every weekend and, and just... So you have a sense of and also doing the aquariums. So at some point uh, you find the materials like uh, a palette of textures, colors and ingredients that you start playing with. And with time you understand which things work together, which other things doesn't work together. And by just watching a movie or a documentary, uh, you have an idea and it's kind of a chef, like, a, okay, I just put the things together. And at this point, for me, it's quite easy to gather things and recreate a habitat in a kind of beautiful way, plus sustainable, because um, like the riverbeds mostly are a combination of five, six or seven products. So you have to do it, the blend, and then standardize it with the protocol. And then uh, your team has to recreate it in a kind of semi-industrial way. Yeah. And some steps are easy. Others have to be hand-picked. So like if there are some bark or whatever, this cannot be industrialized. Because when you put it in a, in a machine, uh, even if you blend it very well, then sometimes the, the, the outcome is not standardized. So it's a lot of passion, work, and so on. And as we grow, uh, some of the things that we did as a um, kind of uh, growing brand, every time are more complicated. Because when you have to produce not 10 bags, 
200 bags, 500 bags, mm -hmm. then the things get more complicated. But this is also beautiful because you have to uh, look how to solve the, the problems and standardize and look for easy solution or talk with a supplier that does some sort of mixing. And so every time it's, 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 it's kind of a beautiful way of evolving and, and have a vision, do the product and then see how you can bring it to the market in a sustainable way. Yeah. So you've just spoken about like getting two bags and five bags and like a couple of hundred bags of stuff. How do you ensure that you're not like overtaking things? Like you mentioned, like with the rain and the river dropping, you can gather and sometimes you can't. Is that like governments have said you can take X amount of tons of rock or how, how does that kind of process work with, with you? Well, so I'm assuming you're not going in and going to take absolutely everything and then walk away with this totally pillaged riverbed, for example. Well, uh, there's different approaches. The one off the lake, uh, the first year I, I, I went there, you cannot imagine the amount of wood. I, yeah. I could take 50 trucks and I wouldn't take 20%. Yeah. Uh, because it was a year that there was so many rains and all the rivers just brought a crazy amount of lags. So uh, I just took that selection and then it came another company that the, the, the government pays just to take all this wood and they create pallets for a fireplace. They had to remove it because uh, it's, it's not secure for the lake to have this amount of wood all around in terms of people walking, also covering the, the for the fish life and so on. Mm. So every year they send a, a company that basically destroys everything and they even burn it because it's too much. Yeah. But this is a let's say a, a good gathering year, like in uh, fruits. But other years there's nothing, so nobody can can go. On the other hand, when it's basically about stones, is like now I have to look for someone that has a license for getting that type of stone and in a sustainable way and in big quantities. Um, if it's something that it's not sustainable in any way, then I cannot include it. Because when you start in doing distribution worldwide, uh, you have to make sure that the product is sustainable over time. Mm. So that brings new challenges. Cool, yeah. that, that'll make sense. Um, thanks for clarifying. I was trying to work out how that would work in, in my mind. Um, so we've had a question from one of the watchers. I said, are you finding people are more aware of where the fishes come from so they want to cater to those species? Uh, I would like to think yes, but I think that um, I'm surprised how the biotop is not thriving way more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, my background is about amphibians, and for me, every time I, I wanted to have an amphibian, I went to Google Maps, researched where it was from, checked the weather all the years, because uh, in, in, in terms of uh, newts and salamanders, if you want to create the breeding cues, it's about temperature, light cycle, uh, even water chemistry, and so on. And, and so many little things can make to breed uh, a species. And for at the end, for a uh, when you breed the species, normally it's that you're bringing all the ingredients together to that the animal is it's it's good. So for me, um, nature aquarium and all the aquascaping 
makes a lot of sense if you bring that knowledge of aesthetics into the biotop. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why people think that the biotop has to be ugly or just a bunch of rotten leaves and, and, and branches. You, uh, because in nature, you have beautiful scenarios that can be way better than any aquascape. And this is in nature. So mm. uh, beauty doesn't compromise about the style if it's a biotop, a sickly stand, or anything. It's about making a beautiful uh, scenery. I like to use the, the word of that people re-engage, that you see that say, wow, this is amazing. This is a piece of nature. I appreciate it. And this is something that I think people should start trying to to investigate and develop way more. Yeah, it's definitely something that is growing. Um, mm. More people are seeing the benefits of providing a more accurate biotope for their, yeah. you know, their aquarium fish or, or amphibians. So I think um, over time, it's something that we're going to see become almost the norm, I'd imagine, when the materials for creating all the biotopes are more readily available. Um, and not kind of just unique to specialist shops or websites. So, yeah, yeah. it's positive and it's growing. I think uh, there's one uh, one person who is a friend and, and we have uh, we collaborate uh, with the other, it is Treatment. I don't know if you oh, have yeah. heard. Um, yeah. he, he, he just uh, finished a book that it's about a biotop, but using kind of aquascaping techniques. Uh, so this is the type of, of, of work that we need. Uh, so people can see a true biotope, that it's a plant species, a fish species, and it's inspired in real nature by a person that has been in those biotopes or just gather all the information just to create that biotope, but in a very beautiful way and following some sort of techniques about aquascaping. Mm -hmm. So I think this sort of blending, uh, it's something that uh, is going to come uh, in the market. And... If you really want to re-engage with nature, it's about knowing the species, taking some time and reading about it, the habitat, the challenges. And, and when you have knowledge about something, the value increases dramatically. So mm. it's like, hey, this, this comes from the Titanic. Wow. And if you don't have that knowledge about the, a piece, it doesn't have any interest. So the more knowledgeable is the person, the more appreciation he can bring to the, to the hobby. Hmm. Very much agree. Uh, oh, you've already answered that one before I even have to answer that, ask that question. Um, when you're collecting, because you get people go out and collect stuff, is everything all hand collected or is there a lot of like machinery, bulldozer trucks sort of thing for rocks and that sort of stuff, or is it all hand selected in that process, or is it does it different differ between every item that's selected? uh it's different um yeah. there are some stones that are hand collected and for instance the early elderly stone that is uh the one that it's a lot of crevice and so on this is hand collected it's difficult now we're gonna get the last uh track with the the stones and we cannot collect anything else more till spring because now it starts snowing it's impossible to, to to gather it, so it's kind of hand collected and it's an area with authorization and so on. Others is like um, a minery that has the access, so mm. they just uh, machine collect, 
And uh, for instance, some like the, the Titan, it's a, a new stone. We have the normal one and the boulder one. So the boulder, it's put in a, a big roller that just smoothens the stones in a kind of a process. Uh, so it depends. Every stone, some are naturally done, others are not. Uh, and the thing is like just finding the material and every product has a kind of a challenge or a little story behind it. Do you bring your own crew in to to gather all of the all the products, or do you hire um, people from the area to to do that work for you? It depends. Uh, yep. For instance, uh, next Friday uh, we go to gather the centurion wood, and we go the whole company. We take it on Friday, and then we have a nice uh, lunch in a place that they do an amazing duck and. They, so uh, this is kind of not the normal thing, but we try to do every now and then a sort of gathering. So uh, and others, as much as possible, I try that somebody do the, the gathering. The first time you go together, you show the skills, and then they, they do it for, for us. Yeah. Okay. Are you trying to collect something from every kind of part of the world? So like your range is like all-encompassing everything or you just specifically looking for particular regions that you're only interested in collecting from or, or how does that that process and that mindset work for you of, of what it is you're trying to gather or do you just when you're out and about you've gone traveling somewhere you think man that looks really cool how do i go about collecting that well one of the things that you learn is that um many materials that you think that this is chinese you can find it in other places and uh, the geology uh, i I'm, I'm reading now about geology and and uh, I, I have an article I, I did an article that, that we're gonna publish in in, in our website that it's just about sands and it's 12 pages covering wow. everything about sand it's like the ultimate guide about uh, about sands because um it's so much uh, behind everything, like a sun is anything that it's between 0.1 millimeter to 2 millimeters. And this is the definition of sun. And then there's different uh, categories like fine sun, middle sun, and so on, according to the sizes. And um, then you say, okay, what about the colors of the sun? And you understand that the geology uh, of every color of sun comes from a different type of stone and even um, uh, a different uh, process of nature crafting the sun. Mm -hmm. So um, some suns are more rounded uh, and others are kind of more hard and it depends on the degradation that it happens. So it's very interesting and then it's okay, uh, where I can find green sand. Now I'm working to, to, to bring a green sand and there are some examples of green sands in, 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 in beaches like in, in Hawaii and so on, and you research and there's a real green sun because uh, the majority uh, of, of many brands is that they just get the, the stones, they crush it, and they just create the, the sun out of a crushed stone. So this is the majority of all of them. If you go to, if you check the suns, normally this process makes that the sun has, uh, will increase the pH and the, and the KH of the aquarium because it's crushed mm -hmm. stone. Yeah. And most of the color stones are um, um, stones are with high calcium. 
So all the signs that we have now at, at Dio are 100% inert and are 100% natural sands. It's not a crushed stone, it's real sand gathered in a sustainable way from a particular place and has this beautiful mixture of a, a true uh, sand. And for me, um, this is one of the things I really enjoy when you see the different shades of the color that naturally blends together and work together compared to something that it's all the same size grain, all the same color grain, and this is a Christ stone. So it's like trying to, to bring the real nature back to the aquarium and also inform people that how you can identify if it's a Christ stone, natural sand, and what are the advantages of it. Yeah. So I, I remember when I was younger, um, the beach, some of the beaches in Tenerife, yeah, they were dark, dark, dark black sand yeah. because of exactly. the, the volcanoes. And I always wanted to be able to try something like that in the aquarium, but you never quite get what yeah. they looked like because it, it was it was a beautiful sand. But yeah, yeah you know, and it's volcanic, so it's hundred percent inert. Uh, this is the, our midnight. Our midnight is hundred percent volcanic sand, like the ones in the uh, Canarias. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have the Choco, that is the same, but it's brown volcanic. And then we have the Inferno, that is red, violet, volcanic. So at yeah. the end, it's three different shades of color out of uh, volcanic um, natural sand. Yeah. I've used the, the Druid gravel before. That's the, the kind of color, but obviously that's larger. It's not a sand, that's yeah. more of a gravel. Yeah, exactly. You've, um, you've just blown my mind a little bit. I, I never envisioned that companies would just grab big rocks, crush them together, chuck them in bags. I, I naturally thought they were all collected from some natural source, but it makes sense. Like, they're all so uniform. They're all identical. There's no variation in it. Right. That, yeah, that just you just absolutely blowing my mind and, and made me think about something completely different. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, but this is about knowing uh, the story behind something. So when you... Yeah. When you are aware of that, then you identify it in a glimpse if this is a natural sun or not a natural sun. And you can really see it because if it's all homogenic, same color, same grain, uh, yep. and you take some drops of vinegar or lemon and it will start freezing and say, okay, this is just a Christ stone. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm just thinking of the, of the yeah. sand that, that we stock and they're all uniform. There's no, no differences and they're all the same. So, okay. yeah, basically. Absolutely blowing my mind. Fantastic. Cool. One of the things that, um, that when I first came across your company um, was the riverbed sets that you do. Mm -hmm. and that kind of yeah. kind of touches on what we've just been talking about, where you're 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 grabbing a mixture of textures, materials to create a natural looking substrate for your aquarium. That you know, for years I've went out my way to try and create something like that using all the different things. But what you've done is you've encapsulated it in one product, which I think is an amazing approach. Yeah. Because for a lot of people, you know, understanding that the little twigs or, or broken leaves or or some small pebbles mixed with some sand and soil mm. all in one is natural. You know, for a lot of people, the, the thought of that gives them the fear. But... Um, you know, for a, for a biotope type aquarium, it's just it simplifies the whole process and speeds yeah. it up completely. So, bravo on that. <laughs> well, the riverbeds, uh, it's uh, 
it's one of the products I'm most proud of because it, mm. it's the plain sand that everybody has used and then just rise to another level yeah. and make it affordable for, for, for everyone. So you just grab the bag, you throw it, and the more random and chaotic that it falls, the more beautiful it goes. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I have in mind is that almost everyone had an aquarium as a child and almost everyone had a failure, total failure having an aquarium because they assess us in a really bad way because we started with the smallest tank possible, which is the, the worst because the water chemistry is like impossible. Then we put the materials that we should not put together because I don't know, the Christ sun uh, just raised the, the pH, the gauge, and then we put the fishes right from the beginning, the day after everything dead. So I, I'm, one of the things that uh, at Bio I would like to introduce at some point is uh, ready-made sets for the beginner to be successful, uh, both aesthetically and also in a way that uh, people can get beautiful introduction to the aquarium hobby mm -hmm. without uh, algae issues, the chemistry issues, and so on. And this is a job of the stores, but uh, the stores also need the, asset, the assets mm -hmm. to, to bring mm -hmm. it to people in a safe, funny, secure way that everybody can start a hobby and then evolve to, to because many people, how many people just quit, quit the, the hobby because it was like a nightmare. So yeah. this is one of the things that uh, I think the company should make an effort to make things easy. So biotops can be more affordable by just having the riverbed and throwing it and say, oh, that, that works. And that looks like a biotop. And even though it's ready-made, people start knowing how to mix things because they see there is sand, the pebbles, there are some branches, and how the colors are mixed and the grains, and everything works together. So the other thing is that this is a base. And for me, the, um, an aquarium is like layers. So you can just put the, the sand and then say, okay, now let's make it more interesting. Uh, let's look for a little gravel just to add a, a, another layer of complexity. And every product that you put in an aquarium speaks about something about nature. So um, it's like a storytelling. When you create an aquarium, you can just create like an aquascape that is, okay, beautiful, impactful. But you can just introduce so many things that can tell stories about what things happen in that place or how nature uh, acts. So, for instance, um, if you select a, a a boulder or a stone or um, a rounded pebble or a crushed pebble, uh, it tells a different story. So um, if you have like uh, an aquarium and you put like a waterfall there, and normally when you go to nature, you see that those areas that there are cliffs, the stones just fall there. And those stones are really with crevices and, and, and it's, it's a stone that has not been polished by the time. Whether yes. you go to the river, you have the boulders and everything, it's kind of more rounded. And so you can introduce that into an aquarium. And the person that knows uh, starts identifying, okay, he's trying to create the beginning of the river, all the crushed stones and so on. As the river flow, we're going to make an area that is kind of more smooth. And everything can really speak about something. Even uh, if you put some branches fallen, uh, when you go to rivers, you see like a classic stone with all the branches just going surrounding the stone because of the current. 
So mm. just by clicking this, you're telling where the current goes through. So mm -hmm. there are many things that when you go to nature, if you put attention, you can just create those little things that at the end make something more realistic. And this is a lot of fun because at the end, um, a piece of nature that we recreate, you can just make it evolve and change it and bring some input for the fishes, like all the leaves that fall from outside. This is an input that the fishes just go and, and make some enrichment for the animals. So this is something that can also be... So I really believe that uh, we have evolved a lot in the aquascaping world, but there's a lot about evolve in terms of philosophy, in terms of storytelling, in terms of making people aware why things are natural and why they look natural, because mm -hmm. there's something that you've learned from nature and then you just bring it there and recreate it in a natural way. Yep, makes total sense. Um, we've got a question from um, the viewers, but I just wanted to touch on something first. So in the marine side of the hobby, you can buy live, live sand, basically. From my understanding, it's been gathered. It's still wet, still got all the bacteria kind of through it. Does that mean the sand that you're collecting is in turn similar to that, or does it go through some sort of a treatment process before it makes the shelves? Well, uh, the things, and especially now that we started working with Remy to bring the uh, products to uh, New Zealand, is like um, everything has to be sort of sterile. So, um, also one of the things that it, it brought me so many headaches is that I, when we started um, packing the, the roots, different sort of roots, mm -hmm. uh, the twisted root, uh, it got uh, mold uh, many times after one month or two because it's a natural root with mm -hmm. humidity inside. And when you put it in a bag, enclosed, in a box, within a store that it's 25, 27 grades, constant temperature, what you get, it's mold. Yeah. So um, finally, we ended up buying uh, uh, an industrial uh, heat heater. So we just put the, the all the roots there, keep it for two hours at 80 grades. So everything got uh, zero irritation and also kills any spores of mold and so on. Mm -hmm. So we had to learn about that. The biotops, mm -hmm. Some of the biotops we put some branches and we discovered that some sort of branches created mold, other sort of different species didn't create it. So it's a process and there are some challenges. And yeah, when you standardize a product and you have to export it and has to be packed and has to keep a quality and being sterilized, you have to go to many different steps that you learn as you walk mm -hmm. and you face the, 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 the challenges, you have to say, okay, now what we do with that? So uh, you have to do a lot, a lot of yeah. treatment and cleaning and it's not so grab and put it and that's it, no way, more complicated. Cool. All right, so the question we have, what if you like color and want to balance that with natural aspects? They're not a, a not a fan of brown um mm -hmm. this was i believe in regard to the way nature creates stuffs and click stuff uh-huh that makes sense well uh as i said before nature has the full palette of colors 
And for instance, uh, when we, um, one of the, my favorite stones, one of my favorite is jade stone, the J one, which is the green stone. And it has beautiful shades of green and it's a stone that you can craft because it breaks so easily and you can create a lot of different textures. And uh, the first thing when I send it to some friends, stores and so on, hey, look, where's Greenstone? And some people say, ah, this won't sell. It's green. People will think that it's algae on it and, and stuff like that. And over time, that stone started selling better, better, better. And now it's one of our top sellers. But um, many people, um, uh, when you create something, you use the reference that you have. So I think that we are very contaminated by all the Asian stuff and traditional decoration stuff. So, okay, stone has to be gray. Gray stones, because the real you, the zero you, all the, the most top seller stones are gray or brown, like the, the dragon stone. But when you go to nature, you have a huge assortment of different styles of, of stones. And the same with the sands, the same with the gravels. And also, uh, I like to go to places and take pictures where you see like a blend of different uh, textures of stones, boulders all together. Because you can see even in, in some rocky areas that two or three types of different geology come together and you see the lines that they just collide together and you see one type of a stone and next to another type of a stone. And this happens into nature. So you can also recreate that in, in nature. So I think that we have to break the boundaries and also let people play with different colors, textures and, and try to get inspiration and remove the corset that because uh, one of the things that I, I don't like uh, lately is like all the contests of IPLC, we start seeing the same style of aquarium, the same plants, the same fishes, the same stones, the same structures. And this is playing safe because it, it works all together. But when you go to nature, there's, they blow your mind because there's the craziest thing you could imagine exist in nature so i think people have to try to be more creative and be more free and mm -hmm. get about brown and say okay i want to do a full green aquarium this happens mm -hmm. try to get the green sand green stone and create something different and even research where those materials come from and try to find some inspiration out of that so basically for color you don't have to go artificial Nature has it. We just need to find it and and research yeah. it and pull the resources together in order to create it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, uh, you can have a, a base a foundation, like you get a, a riverbed, like I don't know the back that is completely black uh, with uh, different. Um, the, you have the druid stone and so on. And say, okay, this is my base. So now I can add further layers and say I'm gonna mix it with something, I don't know, reddish and put it together. And then you create a different texture. There's a, a lady discos. There's some, some, some of our people, the influencers and so on, that they start playing with different uh, materials together. And for instance, when I went to Green Aqua, they say one of the things that we love about your products is that all the products can be mixed together. So you can grab one sand and another sand and just blend it together and you get something that works in a different way. So mm -hmm. 
we just released like a, a, a set of, of, of colors that it's all our uh, all our sands, 11 sands. And, and yeah, it's, it, it's like the palette for people to start mixing and trying things together and, and, and come on, there's a world beyond the white sand. And so, yeah, I encourage people to play. So you've obviously got sand, rocks, and wood in your range. What other products do you have that's in your in your catalog? Well, um, now I'm working. Um, we're introducing now the the it, we have the thing is that bio it's organized in 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 like four major groups. One is the core, that is the line that we have worked. Mm-hmm. Then we have tech. The space, the, all the aquariums, furniture, and so on, and the well that is going to come next year. That is about uh, water treatments, fertilizers, etc. So in the core, we have um, the biota beds, which are the sands, mm-hmm. the gravels, and the river beds. Then uh, we have the hardscape with all the nano rocks, nano boulders, uh, stones, etc., etc. And uh, we started with the fine tuning that is like the last layer to get extra detail. So uh, we are releasing this month the, the accents. It's fine-tuning accents. So it's just to recreate the, the little uh, stone hills that normally cure when the stones just break down and so on. So we are making all the different color shades. So you just put, I don't know, Chatterstone. So you have the green accents. And you just put it and you can easily recreate the little slides and so on. So this is one of the, the products just to bring another layer of complexity. And I'm working on all the botanical line. Uh, and we are uh, organizing uh, the botanics in three groups. We have the geographical ones, kind of very biotop, so North America, South America, Europe, Asia, etc. Then uh, the target ones, which are um, botanics that are targeted to a specific group of animals, like the cichlid uh, set or the beta set or the nano set, etc. And then uh, the season impressions. That the idea is that uh, this is very related to creating enrichment for the animals. So the thing is that. Uh, I would like people to think about maintenance uh, as one of the fun parts of having an aquarium. So it's not about doing the water change and doing the filter cleaning and so on. So every time you do maintenance, it's a good opportunity to introduce something new in the aquarium that can make the animals interact with something. And one of the best things are botanicals. Botanicals are sort of consumable because at the end you put it and it will last Few months, two or three months, and then start melting. And it's a source of food, it's a source of interaction, it's a source of something novel that just fell down. So the curiosity of the animals changes, and you can uh, you can change so many things, and uh, you can recreate like even the water level to drop in summer, do less water changes to increase the chemicals in the water, and put more organic. Uh, just to recreate the falling of the leaf and then do a big change with clear water and then that may foster the breeding of the animals. So 
there are many things that if the user start thinking in a different way, it's not about having an aquarium, 25 grades, 12 hours light, all year round, I just care about fertilizing and trimming. They know, just make that evolve over time as it happens in nature, that it's constant change. So I think that in terms of the core, all our line that we are working now, it's about bringing things for enrichment for the animals and making people rethink about how should be an aquarium and the maintenance yes. that has to be evolved. Um, as you were speaking to me, someone asked about uh, kit sets like substrates and stones and that sort of thing. And I, th I think kind of, sorry, I flipped it off a bit too quickly. Um, I think you might have touched base on that during that. Thank you, John. Um, in one of the one of the sets that you do, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but did, is that how that kind of thing works? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, decor kits, it's, uh, it's something that works perfect. So uh, for me, it's like the perfect gift or a person that wants to recreate a, a biotop. So you have everything that works together very well. And it's inspired in some sort of uh, biotop. So it's a perfect start. You have that uh, and you can create something that even if it's your first aquarium, it will look really good and look like done by a professional because the, the amount of complexity of all the blends and the different stones and the selection, it's very well tested. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can be used as a starting point to start mixing other things, getting other type of uh, bigger stones, but it's like a successful start for anyone that wants to create a beautiful uh, aquarium. Now, we've also got someone who is excited for the WIO shipment to arrive. Uh, and she has herself a tank. I'd also like to add Helen, you and me both. I'm also being really excited for when it arrives. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a little bit of a buzz, buzz coming through New Zealand on, on your products coming here. So, um, yeah, yeah, I can assure you there's more than two people that are excited that they're, they're coming and we cannot wait for them to arrive. Yeah. So. I must admit, when I was um, I was setting up an aquarium about two years ago, um, mm -hmm. about a year ago, sorry, um, and I was on a a website here in the UK, um, mm -hmm. Riverwood Aquatics, and yeah. I'd never heard of your, your things before. And I was just scrolling down, and and it just it was there, and I was like, oh, this is new. This is really new. And then I went from there to your website, and I was like, wow, you know, where did all mm -hmm. this stuff come from? Um, mm -hmm. everything about it was different from what we've been getting for the last five or six years so it was really refreshing yeah, yeah. and um, Riverwood and, and Aquarium Gardens has been really really supportive from the beginning mm -hmm. they really believe in us uh, from the start so I'm very grateful that they, they really push the brand forward and they started from you know every product that we launched boom, they just want it and promote it so yeah those are big displays for us because at the end, some stores like Aquarium Gardens, Riverwood, Green Aqua, Aquasavi, some those stores are reference and, and bring exposure. So many people are like discovering us. Mm -hmm. No, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was the same when I first saw it. I was like, oh, this is exciting. When is it coming to New Zealand? Was my, my first thought knowing too well that it wasn't here. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it is on its way. Yeah. 
Um, how do you engage the local communities when you're out and about and, and um, you know, do you get input and advice from them when you're looking at new products and new, new things to collect and that sort of stuff? Um, it's all uh, how I get engaged in, in with the, when I travel, you mean with people or or when um, I hobbyist or say you find going for a wee walk and you say, wow, this is, this is perfect. I want to be able to um, collect this and, and, and carry this product or whatever it is that you've seen. How do yeah. you then go about um, communication and being involved with the local communities to make sure that's um, acceptable, okay, there's no um, you know, the reason this, why you shouldn't be and all that sort of, sort of thing. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And there's no... Uh, there's no path because sometimes you find something in a place as I, okay, I know it's here, but where to start? So um, sometimes it's talking to an old person. Hey, I just found that. Is anybody here that does gardening or is any? Uh, so they pass you a telephone number, then you call, then another one. Sometimes you get to a road with no with no option. So it's like, okay, we cannot get that. Um, and other times it's, ah, they pass you a telephone number, you talk to someone, ah, yeah, no person that has a license and can gather stuff. So it's like a, a little adventure. It's a little adventure sometimes. And it, it's, it's not a, a flat hat because it's not making a call and going to a company and say, hey, this is my catalog, you can buy it. So it's, it's a sort of, so many steps and sometimes it takes one year just to get something uh, that can work or maybe just get to a point that okay this is not sustainable yeah. mm -hmm. but that's fun i love to do that have you had many issues when it's come to local governments and on on collection and that kind of stuff or is, is that a similar type of type of thing some governments are fine some are not uh here in europe everything is very very regulated so yeah. uh I normally never deal with it. Uh, it's to find the right person to deal with it. So um, that's the thing. Uh, if it's local person, then knows the one, the major, the major knows who to call, and then you can get things done. If yep. you try to do it without using the local people, it will be completely impossible. Completely impossible. Yep. Yeah. I've had another question. Uh, what, oops, I'll push the button before I start talking. What, if any, availability is there in the States for the WeO products? Uh, now we have two distributors in US. So cool. we have one in Texas, that is Microbarium, that just got the first shipment one week ago. And there's this Kuboid, uh, that is uh, the distributor from Virginia till Maine. Uh, that he has quite a lot of stuff. Uh, he's based in, in uh, what's the name? Just higher than Virginia. Well, uh, between New York and, and Virginia. And, and yeah, I, I'm arranging a new order that's going to be shipped uh, by Christmas time. Cool. 
So the full the full range uh, is going to be in US. We're trying step by step, but yeah. Cool, fantastic. Good signs for the people in the United States. Yeah, I think both the people in our chat that were asking that come from Texas as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that's an extra bonus for them. Yeah. Um, is there any byproducts of of the collection, like um, waste leftovers from collecting the rocks and all that sort of stuff? And how do you, if there is, how do you try and minimise that sort of thing, or is everything kind of taken and used? Well, uh, now the, the focus, I'm working on LEDs. So uh, we're going to launch LEDs in, in Christmas time. So all the hardscape and so on uh, is going to start like going more slowly because we have huge uh, amount of, of hardscape. And the thing is that people still doesn't know most of it or haven't played it or haven't used it and so on. So uh, there's like a, a curve of mat maturity of the product. So I think we, we just brought so many hardscapes, so many sounds, so many things to play with that now the market needs to start using and maturing before launching many more, more products. So uh, our focus is just to, to jump and try to get LED lightings and other sort of, of, of goods and expand the brand in, in other directions. So you said before, um, like plant fertilizers and that, that sort of scenario. So um, LEDs, what, water treatments, is, is that just the beginning or is that kind of all you're looking at as far as non-natural products? That's not the right term, but I, I'm sure you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. Uh, as, well, as, as I said, the vision was to, to develop the four lines. So that the core, that it's very mature. And then the, all the tech line that is all about uh, how to mimic uh, the environment of different places and bring more complexity. And, and so now I'm working on, on, on that and also all the, all the first and so on that uh, we're working. We normally take up to one year uh, for those products to, to launch. The LED lighting, I'm, I'm pretty excited. And we, we work with a really, really... Uh, the, the most sophisticated spectrum in terms of light, because everyone is just playing with the RGB mm -hmm. and or RGB plus white. And there's big gaps of the spectrum. And uh, as I told you, I, I've worked a lot with uh, public aquariums and I've been involved in LED lighting for since 2006. Mm -hmm. uh, and I develop lights for museums and with really high free color rendering. And in 2000, I think it was 2009, we introduced uh, an LED lighting that you put the GPS coordinates and recreate exactly the same number of minutes that it will uh, reproduce the, the local time of that place. And that was introduced in, 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 for the Quine Hobby. It was fully produced in, in Spain. But uh, I learned when you have a good idea, uh, we went patented it, but the production was impossible because you cannot produce uh, this sort of product in Europe at that time. It was impossible. So um, we developed a, a light that worked perfectly and create the sunrise, sunset. And we're talking about 2008 and it was mm -hmm. a 30 watts power. So it was very, very good. 
And that led me like, okay, it's not the time yet to, to for this product. So after that, I stopped it. And then I started developing like for public aquariums. And I always put a lot of attention on what the animals need, because one thing is our perception. And the other thing is the perception of, of the bird or the fishes and so on. And when you start researching, you just see that we are very basic in terms of vision. Uh, we have the, the, the red, the green, and the blue, but fishes have up to six and birds also. And for instance, I just developed, um, I installed, uh, it was in May, in the Oceanographic of Palencia. It's a, the biggest uh, public aquarium in, in Europe. And they asked me to do some lights for the penguins. <laughs> and the thing is that penguins, uh, they see the ultraviolet. So the males, when they are in breeding conditions, they develop special shades of color on the, on the feathers. <laughs> and if you put normal lighting, that normally it's uh, based on human vision that is from 400 nanometers till 700 nanometers. Uh, the thing is that the female penguins cannot see the color feathers of the, of the males because the light doesn't project the ultraviolet spectrum. Awesome. So that brings uh, issues about interaction and relationship between the penguins and the breeding conditions and, and so on. So we developed a light that was fully covering all the spectra that the penguins see just to improve that, that thing. So uh, I like to do a lot of research on scientific papers, understand how the animals look and, and, and perceive the world, and, and then develop the product accordingly. One of the things that um, uh, for me it's funny is that all the moonlight from all the LED lights are blue, and moonlight is not blue. Uh, moonlight, it's 4,100 kelvins. This is the natural light. And this is the reflection of the sun to the moon, and then it gets to, to us. The thing is that humans, uh, when the amount of light is so dim that the luxes are so low, we become blind. And then our eyes turn everything into grayish bluish. But it doesn't mean that the light from the moon is grayish bluish. So when we put blue moon to the fishes, they see a discotheque of blue color, while in nature it's uh, the same color, it's 4,000, it's a natural white, but simply is that the, it's very dim, so most of the animals see the colors exactly, but with low light, but for us everything goes grayish bluish. So these sort of things makes you design a light that is not targeted for humans, it's targeted for animals. And it's yeah. targeted for humans because you just put a blue moon that we see bluish grayish because the amount of light is very dim and it really recreates the light for the animal. So there's a lot of research that we take many things for granted and sometimes it's good to scratch and say, is it really blue? And then research and, and you find out some things that are very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that the way you describe that light, the, um, you type the GPS code in, Yeah, that sounds very interesting because... One of the yeah. things that I've always struggled when I've been trying to recreate a biotope is getting the lighting correct. And I've always wanted to be able to, to do it. One one way I did it was just locking in the time zones, but that doesn't mm -hmm. give you the, the sunrise and sunset and the brightness. And yeah. so it's difficult. Right. But if you ever, you know, that device ever comes out, I think coming out at the time when the biotope is getting more yeah. and more, more common. 
It could be well, phenomenally successful. We are working on on on, on a uh, on a product development that unfortunately it was supposed to be already in the, in the market by September, but it's going to be uh, by next year. Uh, we're using the technology for the what we do is that first we do it for the uh, professional line, the public aquariums, and then we downstyle it to, to general public. That's the, the approach that we, mm -hmm. we, we take. So the thing is that um, we develop a, a controlling system that uh, can connect to any meteorological station in the world. So you say, I have this biotop, you look for the closest meteorological station, and it will recreate in real time with the time difference that you set. So if you have an eight hours time difference, you say, okay, the 8 a.m. from that place is my 8 a.m. with the time difference. And then um, it will reproduce every day the, the, the sunrise, sunset, and the length of the, of the day. Wow. Even if it's cloudy, not cloudy, and stuff like that. So we, we're working on that. And hopefully the industrial part the, for the public aquariums is going to be working this year, 24, next year. And as soon as we can, we can we will try to, to to bring it to people. That is stupidly cool. Yeah, <laughs> wow. it's very cool, but wow. yeah, it's something that that can be very 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 cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you've also blown my mind about UV on the penguins. I think that's also quite cool as well. I know. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. Yeah, that's real cool. Cool. Wow. All right, just got to bring myself down a little bit after that. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. um, are you a part of the Italian Cichlid Association by any chance? Uh, no. No. No, it's not. Uh, I'm not part of, uh, I mean, now I'm kind of very busy. I'm trying to, to support the distributors and when they invite me to, you know, be a judge in a contest or talking with you and stuff like that. So I'm very involved in that. Anything that it's sort of long-term commitment and so on, I'm not very social media guy. So um, if I have some time in the weekend, I go to the mountains. And I disappear <laughs> and, and, and that's it. So keeping up with social media is not my thing. Also, I'm a very good friend. I can, you know, we talk, I can be full-time with you. And next time you come to Barcelona, full-time. But I'm not a person writing and keeping up in a sort of constant way. Because I'm, I'm not like that. I'm kind of more, let's say, old style. Mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. and, and if I don't see a friend in one year, it doesn't matter. The next day we meet, it's going to be exactly the same. But I'm yeah. not a person calling all the time or being connected all the time. And yeah, it's it, the, the way I am. Mm -hmm. um, are you still keeping aquariums and, and amphibians? Uh, yes. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, not as many. Now I have only one aquarium at home. Uh, now it's going to come one or two more. But uh, yeah, the thing is that uh, I have this sort of, of uh, passion about it. And, but I changed from the 24 aquariums to just having one and really enjoying. Also comes um, a lot of maturity because uh, before it was sort of also collecting the animals, trying to... to to, to breed them and so on. And now it's like, well, I like this species. I just try to breed it, recreate it, and, and kind of more relaxed and, 
yeah, different way, more mature. Definitely. Makes, makes absolute sense. Um, what have I got on my list of questions? That's the real question. Um, we're getting pretty close to the end of my think, actually. Uh, as in, oh, fire away. Well, um, with the one aquarium that you've got at home, what do you keep in it? I'm keeping, I'm keeping newts. Right. Um, uh, I also use a mana stream for the algae and stuff, mm -hmm. and it's sort of planted. And I use my materials like the heaven sun and some stones. Sometimes stones are still not released, but I like them, so I, I yeah. start playing with them. So it's the sort of, of things that I like. It's a 75p, so it's not big size, but it's with a chiller. Um, by the way, I'm working with a, a cabinet um, that is uh, soundproof because I like amphibians and they need cold water and the chiller makes a ton of sound and I keep it in a woody that it's open and this is one of the things I said, I have to fix it mm -hmm. because it's and yeah, so it, yeah, that's something of you could appreciate, Cam, isn't it? Yeah, you know, have to with the sounds, the bubbles. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> any home that's that's a, that's a me problem. Um, how has your your hobby influenced um, not only your product range but your company and, and the ethos that you work work with? Well, you know, amphibians are like the most threatened animals nowadays. They are the ones that are disappearing massively. Um, there's a, a the the fungi, fungi that is a it's a fungi that is killing amphibians all over the world. Yeah. Uh, now in Europe, you cannot find newts or salamanders in store because they they prohibited, uh, thinking that they can stop as they thought that they were the the. the imports can bring the fungi to local species and so on. So now it's, uh, I'm thinking I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing and the love I have for, for, for nature if I didn't have that aquarium at the age of six years old. And the thing is that today children, for, they cannot have needles or salamanders nowadays because it's completely impossible to, to access. And there comes a concern because you cannot defend or protect something that you don't know or you are not related. If I say to Spanish people, hey, do you know what's a newt? The majority of people have never seen one in their life. They have no clue how they look and how they're going to defend it uh, or protect them. So uh, I think that the hobby of the aquarium uh, should be there and, and people need to re-engage with nature in terms of understand it because as a child the the fact that i took care of those animals and they depend on me i think they brought me the sense of responsibility the mm -hmm. sense of consistency the sense that if you do something wrong has consequences so i think this is something that every child uh, should go through and i think that the the amphibians for me uh, first of all, they were really unknown. Secondly, is that there are not many hobbies on it. So for me, it was very hard to meet people or friends that were on, on my passion. 
And I did a lot of research by myself, uh, just to trying to figure out how to keep that animal. So I think all that bring me sort of way of thinking. And now I apply it in a sort of natural way in, in what is PIO today. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm working a lot is to bring the Immerse line. Uh, for me, it's uh, one of the, the, the most gratifying to have the underwater area and the Immerse line all together with the Mars plant and so on. And I think that this has huge potential for people to enjoy. It's way easy to maintain. It brings beauty of Immerse plants, flowers, and, and, and it's way more affordable as well because the amount of liters per aquarium that has uh, the tech is lower because you can have a super shallow tank and that is very big but the amount of liters it's it's nothing compared to a normal aquarium so i think that this line can bring newcomers to the hobby in terms of more women children uh people that like it for decoration and then they can get more involved and evolve to more sophisticated tanks so i think the immersed line can can grow a lot and this for sure is the world of the amphibians that it's the underwater and the mars mm. Very cool. It just makes it cooler, doesn't it? Having that mm. two-stage element to, you know, you've got the aquatic. It yeah. Just, it merges two things together. Yeah. It does. yeah. The boundaries of, of the two mm. worlds, it's very fascinating. Absolutely. And most of the plants, 95% uh, of the aquatic plants are plants that grow in Mars. So, uh, and people can enjoy it a lot. Now, thanks to the Wawikusa and the, the, the people from Planted Tanks are started to play with some terrariums, but I think that it has a huge potential and they were perfectly maintenance. It's one tenth of an aquarium and you don't even need to filter if you put the proper Mars plants. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's uh, something to, to study. And you've got some of the, the marginal plants on your website just now under the tropical section, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. yeah, we started with the terrarium uh, plants Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is uh, preparing the area for all the uh, all the immerse line that we are working. Cool. Yeah. Um, for those that were wondering, uh, Remy from Aquacasa said that the wear range will be available at the end of next week. So it's getting close. People get as excited as what I am. Yeah. Uh, we've had another question here. Uh, as your company is based on natural products, do you support any conservation groups? And if so, where and what are they working on? Well, I've been very involved in, in amphibians. So I've been uh, part of a project of, uh, it's, it's called LIFE, which is the most prestigious uh, European project about preserving species. And there's one uh, amphibian that is, the, that is located nearby Barcelona in the Montseigne. Uh, that is the most threatened uh, European vertebrate animal, uh, that it's a newt, that it's from uh, Montsain. It's uh, only lived in seven little stream in an area of five square kilometers. Wow. Um, I was involved uh, in designing all the breeding facilities, teaching the people from the authorities how to keep the animal and breed them. And I've been up to the day uh, collaborating with, with them going sometimes to nature, uh, releasing the animals. Now, they, uh, every year, it's like a production of 700 
So the population has been multiplied by five in the last years. So this has been very, very successful. And I have collaborated um, uh, with EASA, which is the, the Association of Zoos and Aquarius in Europe, the one from, from, from Iberia, Spain and Portugal. Uh, I've been part of Stoop Books, the breeding uh, groups of particular species. So mm -hmm. I've been involved many, many, many projects uh, all over my life. Cool. Fantastic. Um, sorry, I pushed the wrong button. Do you have um, some sort of formal education behind all of these things, or is this just all learned, learned knowledge that you've just put into place as you've gone along throughout your life? Uh, I think that it's curiosity. If you are yeah. passionate, yeah. Uh, you you have curiosity and you have a, you know, one thing brings to another and it's, it's, if I have some time free, I just start like thinking what to do a project or, so I always have a lack of time because mm. um, I was, for me, going to work is going to my playground. It's like, wake up and say, hey, I'm going there. So it's yeah. like, of course, there's many things that I don't enjoy so much, accountability and, you know, issues that comes and rise and so on. But yeah, it's, it's very gratifying and I, I just love what I do. Um, I've run out of questions from our question list. Um, the ones that I haven't asked, you've already sort of answered in your answers, which has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, John, do you have any other, other questions? That, um, uh, one um, is to draw a comparison between ADA and Wheel. Obviously, they're two separate companies. You came from one and created the other. Did you use a lot of their kind of philosophies when, not in a, in a copyright way, but did you take a lot of what you learned whilst at that company and putting it into your own company um, with the, the design and their approach? Is that something that you've continued, but down your own path? Or have you tried to distance yourself from that and create an entire new fresh entity? Well, um, I think that's a very interesting question. Uh, Amano had a, a clear vision about the nature aquarium and a sort of philosophy. And, and, and what I really admire Amano because he had a, a clear vision and he just made it possible. He was a, a, a tremendous creative person because uh, he released so many products that didn't exist before. And I think that the, the ADA has a, a very defined vision. It's very focused on, on the nature aquarium, on planted tanks, and sort of aesthetics. It's, uh, and for me, bio, it's, uh, it's more related to what are my, my vision about nature. So mm -hmm. I'm more about biotope. I'm more yeah. about... Um, blending things together and giving the tools. The Japanese philosophy, it's um, I bring you the product, you use it, you follow. I don't even tell you what's inside. You have to trust me. And this is the, the Japanese mentality. Um, and 
we are the European mentality. It's it's different, and my mentality is very curious. I really want to to play around, and 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 for me, a little bit rabble, but it's like okay, I have that as a standard, and let's see what I can do mixing things together and so on. So I think that that bio, it's um, uh, it's has a completely different philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. Uh, there's some things that like it's like uh, putting attention to detail, quality, uh, creating something that is sustainable over time. There are many things that are, uh, they can be together, but at the end, uh, the brands are, are very different. And I think it's good. Uh, one of my philosophies is that we cannot do copycats. Uh, yeah. There's no purpose for doing a copycat rather than decreasing the price or or rising the price, and it's something that exists in the market. So uh, we try to bring something different uh, every time we release something. So this is one of our, if we cannot add anything, then uh, why we should plant this product? So that's a bit uh, our philosophy. And ABA in that sense has been always very innovative and been very copied. So uh, this is something I really respect and we want to do the same, but in our own way. And I yeah. still distribute in AVA, so um, uh, it's two philosophies, two different brands that blend together in many ways and work together. And my sales in terms of AVA, since I have bio, has increased uh, way better. So it's like complementary. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting, actually. Mm. Yeah. Um, another question from uh, Rebecca. So we've we've discussed the sustainability and environmental impacts of the substrates that you collect um, quite a bit earlier in there, but she's mentioned at the end, if they they aren't sustainable, is there a way of improving that? Have you encountered that, things that aren't sustainable and how to potentially make them become sustainable? Or is there any way around that? Or if it's just not doable, it's just not doable. I I think that's what she's trying to ask. I hope, Mm -hmm. if not, Rebecca, please clarify for me. Well, um, the thing is that uh, in Europe, everything is very regulated. So um, any of the products that we introduce, uh, our consumption are ridiculous compared to any other field. So um, it's completely uh, something that it doesn't really harm uh, any of the places that it's been gathered. Because uh, when you talk to the in the scale of nature, uh, this is completely nothing. Uh, for me, the sustainability it's more about if we can gather that in a sustainable way in terms of if we grow, how much we can get in time and keep the stock and stuff like that. But when we compare uh, our our industry compared to the gardening, is like okay, we may consume 10 pallets, 20 pallets. In the gardening, they consume hundreds of trucks. So uh, it's it's something completely symbolic. Cool. I hope that uh, helps with your question, Rebecca. Cool. So like I said, that's the end of my, uh, my questions that I've got, and I think that might be it for John as well. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, I've, I've, nothing cool. else I can come up with at the moment anyway. You've um, you've blown my mind multiple times during this conversation. Oh, totally. I'm, I'm 
really appreciate it's been very very cool to talk to um and again i'm very much looking forward to your product range arriving in new zealand and i know there's multiple other people that are as well so mm -hmm. um that is all positive signs for the new zealand hobby coming up in the next few weeks or so which is fantastic you've got so my mind away on another project as well so i'm just looking at all the substrates again and the, the the decor packs i'm like mm, i need another project so <laughs> well done well, on that one. Lady you then uh, perfect yeah <laughs> well it's been a so, pleasure thank you so much yeah we like to end our coffee dates with a quick uh school of six which is six very short answer questions none of them are there to stump you just nice and easy so um first and foremost if you're in a coin toss heads or tails sorry can you repeat if you're tossing a coin heads or tails 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 uh when playing paper scissors rocks what's your first call rocks cool <laughs> are you actually uh, are, you, are you a tea or a coffee drinker? Uh, I'm a beer drinker. Beer drinker. <laughs> it's a fair answer. <laughs> if you could have a meal with anyone, whether or not they are um, alive or dead in any period of time, who would that be? Leonardo. Cool. Nice. Um, are we alone in the universe? I hope not. You hope not. Cool, fickle. And do you have a unicorn? Normally, I ask for a unicorn fish, but it can also be a unicorn amphibian, something you'd like to either keep or see in the wild, take photos of, or anything along those lines. Uh, I would like to see back the golden frog that was disappearing in in, cool. in Costa Rica. So I think that would be very exciting cool. to find yeah. back. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, that's all that I've got. So thank you. Uh, we've had a couple of quick questions while we've been doing this, or comments, sorry. Uh, I think Rochelle is right. There is plenty of people watch, that have watched this that are imagining their next tanks after this conversation. Yeah. So thank you very much. Um, okay. And Helen says she's really appreciated you coming on and loved learning about the penguins, which I also enjoyed as well. So uh, thank you very much for being with us. It is greatly appreciated. Um, really appreciate a good time. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. I had so much fun with you. So anytime, uh, I'm willing to talk. Thank we keep enjoying. Thank you everyone for joining us. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your Friday or Thursday night for you guys. Yeah. Uh, and have a good one, team. Happy fish keeping. We'll catch you later. Bye-bye. See you later. Thank you. Bye-bye.